Yeah, it's a it's just an honor to be back again. It feels like almost feels like we're visiting. We've been gone so long. Uh, we were in BC for three weeks, uh, and then we had a wedding in Regina, and um, so it's been almost a month and a half since we've been here. So it feels really good to be back, and I'm honored to be able to share with you. And I, it was a real struggle for me to know exactly what to share this morning. In fact, I think I wrote two or three sermons, and uh, I don't think I'm even preaching even parts of those that I prepared. Um, And part of the reason for that is the last two weeks since we got back from BC have been a tremendous challenge for us, especially for myself personally. Um, There was conversations that were had, um, circumstance that has taken place in our life that has pretty much turned our world upside down and has left me with many different types of feelings. There's been anxiety and fear and stress and uncertainty and just a lot of confusion in my heart and my mind. And then at the same time, when we came home from BC, our kitchen is being renovated. And so we don't really have much of a kitchen. And so we're living, you know, out of, um, you know, uh, cupboards and, and, and drawers that are on the floor and you know you can't find the rolling pin and they change the, the, our fridge so that it opens a different direction and so you're yanking on the wrong end and you open it and it slams against the, the wall and the raspberries need to be picked and the weeds are this high in the garden and, you just, and the lawn needs to be mowed and you feel this stress. And I know all of us can relate to that. And so just in that space, I'm like, God... What do I share with your people this morning? And what he impressed on my heart is in essence what has been, what has been keeping me and helping me to stand firm when the day of evil comes is I want to equip you to anchor your life in truth. So that when the storms of life come, you can stand firm. And this is what I am living every day. It's what we're meant to be living every day so that when the storms come, we can stand firm. So that is what I want to do in essence. And it is so incredibly vital because we have, remember, three enemies that conspire against us. Paul says in Galatians 5.17, he reminds us that we have a sinful nature. And it wants to do exactly what is opposite to what the Spirit within us wants to do. And these two forces are constantly fighting against each other, so we're not free to carry out our good intentions. And so we have to understand is that sin is not merely an act. Sin is a condition that we have and that we will have until we are on the other side and we are with Christ in glory. And so because sin is a condition, we are predisposed towards sin. And summer doesn't relieve it. August long weekend doesn't relieve it. And in fact, when we experience difficulty in our life, sometimes it is even more heightened. And what happens when we have this, these aches, aches of, of emptiness and of stress and maybe of loneliness and of fear and anxiety is that sin actually begins to become even more irresistible because it holds out for us something that is tangible, something we can experience right now in the moment with our five senses and it becomes even more inviting. And that power within us is even more strong. 
So we have that as an enemy. And number two, we have to remember, if we use a summer analogy, this Christian life is like swimming in a river, not a lake. So in a lake, if you're swimming, you can stop swimming and you'll stay where you are. But you stop swimming in a river and you start going backwards. And so there is a current of corruption that flows through our world. Ways of thinking, ideas focused on self and self-gratification. And when we relax, we don't stay where we are. We start to drift backwards. And so we yet live in this world. And we have to, we have to remember that. And then thirdly, we have a very real spiritual enemy. And I know we don't see him with our eyes. And part of his schemes is to have us believe that he actually does not exist. But Satan is real. And First John 5 verse 19 says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Second Corinthians, Satan is the God of this world. So we, and we have to understand what his goal is. His goal is to, is to destroy God's people, that's you and me, and to discredit the cause of Christ. That's his goal. His goal is that you will never experience all the spiritual blessings that are yours through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he knows that because you're in Christ, he can't take you to hell with him, but he will work very hard to make your life here hell. And Jesus in John 8, 44, it says that Satan hates the truth. It says he's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. And we have to recognize that he is an opportunist. And so when we are struggling, when things are stressful, when things are hard, when things are difficult, he sees an opportunity. He recognizes this. And he presents to us Lies, deceptions, ideas that he knows will entice us. If he can present them to us in such a way that he can provoke our sin nature. If he can get us thinking like the world thinks. He'll present to you a good thing to be used in the wrong way and at the wrong time. And ultimately what Satan tempts us to do, especially in times of difficulty, is to circumvent God to find happiness. That's the basic lie that that's possible, and it's the temptation. Circumvent God to find happiness to find some kind of relief, 
to find something that will kind of soothe me in this time of need. And he doesn't, especially as believers, he will not present to you an overt evil. He knows he cannot deceive you with an overt evil. But he will present to you something that's good. Something that is even a gift from God. But he'll present it to you in a way that you start to look to this, whatever it is, to find happiness instead of God. So it's absolutely vital that we know how in our Christian life that we know how to anchor our souls in truth. We also must understand our tendency, especially our tendency when life is difficult, and that is to fixate on the facts instead of fixating on the truth. The facts about our circumstances, the facts about our situation, the facts about our life. And many, many people know facts, all kinds of facts. But do we know truth? And when you fixate on facts, it's called worry. And that is our tendency. We think about the facts about something in the morning. We think about it at night. We think about it when we wake up. We think of it during breaks when we're working. Pretty soon we're thinking about it when we're driving. Whatever it is that is, that is causing stress in our life, that we're concerned about, that we're worried about, that we fear, the facts... Soon we start losing sleep. Because we're losing sleep, we get tired. And when we're tired, we become impatient. And our impatience turns into frustration. And then it turns into anger. We can become so fixated on the facts of our situation that we absorb that reality into our very being. I don't know how it works, but it does. And it starts to affect our bodies. And you talk to doctors and they can, they will tell you there's all kinds of psychosomatic illnesses with symptoms like chest pain and fatigue and dizziness and headache and back pain and shortness of breath and insomnia and abdominal pain. It's like they're absorbing the facts of their situation into their very being and it's destroying them. And it's called worry. And we need to learn how to fixate our minds and our lives on the truth no matter what the facts are. So let's just do that a little bit this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what the facts are. You could tell me all kinds of facts about yourself. All kinds of ways that you're concerned. Challenges that you face. Things that you think about in the future. But let's remember again the truth. No matter what the facts are that we're facing, Genesis 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 121 verses 1 to 2, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, no matter what the facts are. Who created everything? Who is my helper? 
Psalm 146, verses 5 to 6 says, Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. And then Acts 17, verse 28 says, In him we live and we move and we have our being. And so today, And every day we need to take the time to do what we're doing right now. It's just to to know the truth. And Deuteronomy 4 verse 39 says, Acknowledge and take to heart this day. Now we say we need to do this every day. That the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below and there is no other. It's such a basic foundational truth. But how often do we lose sight of that? Simple truth. Will God provide? Can God provide? Everything belongs to God. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And everything in it. But of course, there's so much more. And often what we forget in our stress and in our anxiety and our difficulty is the truth of God's great salvation for us in Christ Jesus. And we forget who we are. And Hebrews 1 verses 1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And then verse 2, But in these last days He's spoken to us by His Son. In Colossians 1, verse 19 to 23, says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, that's Jesus, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Because listen, Satan will try to take the facts in your life and he'll try to use them against you. He'll try to use them to condemn you. And he might present you with some facts. You have sinned that sin for so many years. It's a fact. That sin is hurting your wife, it's hurting your kids, or it's hurting your husband. It's making you selfish and disobedient. But what's the truth? What's the truth of the gospel? Verse 21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you to Christ's physical body, reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's the truth of the Gospel. No matter what the facts might be. And so I just wanted to show you and demonstrate for you. And men who have been at our men's meetings, you will remember me doing this. 
My wife wonders, why do all of our Tupperware containers have names on them? And if you were at the men's thing, you know, I even had some that had Satan and sin. So my mother-in-law saw sin in our fridge. Like, why do you have sin in your fridge? I'm like, well, oh, right. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not trying to explain that to her. And so this is you. It's plastic. It's made to last forever, and it's toxic to the environment. That's kind of what we are, right? I mean, we blame it on plastic, but who made plastic? So this is you. And remember, this is, this is, a, who, this is the absolute objective of reality for us who believe in Christ. Christ is in you by His Holy Spirit. Christ is in you. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, I'm reading the one part wrong verse here. Ephesians 1 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Christ is in you. John 14 17 to 18, Jesus says, The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, talking about the Spirit. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Christ is in you. You are in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So do you understand The evil one does not want you to know who you are because you are very dangerous. You are a spiritual giant in Christ. We are in Christ. Colossians 3 verse 3 says we are hidden with Christ. In God. John 10, 29, Jesus says, For my Father has given them, that's you, that's all believers. He says, The Father has given them to me, and He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. Second Samuel 22, verses 1 to 4 says, The Lord is my rock my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of refuge. He is my Savior, the one who saves me from violence. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and He saved me from my enemies. So that's the truth. That's the truth no matter what the facts might be.
So this is what I want to teach you. I don't even know what time I'm supposed to be done. But they'll come up when I'm supposed to be done. Um, So here is what is so absolutely vital. It is not enough simply to know the truth with your mind and to know it as you now know it right now because I taught it to you. Or even to know it as you know it after you read it and put down the Bible. See, because that's almost like sitting down at a meal that you prepared, but you never actually eat it. You never actually absorb the nutrients of this meal into your body, and it begins to change your life. It begins to change your body. We need to learn how to absorb this truth deep into our very being, into our very soul. So that we can get our will and our mind and our emotions to agree with the Holy Spirit who is within us so that the life of Christ can be revealed through us. We must learn how to do that. We must get our mind and our will and our emotions to agree with the Holy Spirit. We want the life of Christ to be released. So that, because that's the only way we can be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 10. And the Bible calls this meditation. And it is tragic that New Age religions have taken meditation and they have twisted it. And so many people, when they hear the word meditation, they think somehow that is wrong. Well, if you look at the book of Joshua, Joshua 1 verse 8, what did God tell Joshua to do? New Age religion has taken meditation and they've used it so you can absorb into your very being this idea that you are God. That yourself is God. We want to use meditation to absorb into our very being the truth that we are not God, but who God is and what He has done for us through Christ Jesus so that we can start to release the very life of Jesus into our being so that He can do that. It simply means to ponder it. It means to reflect on it. It means to focus one's thoughts on it. It means to contemplate it. Something that we know very, we, we, we inherently know how to do. Remember we talked about worry. What is worry? It's negative meditation. You're meditating on the facts. You're thinking about it when you go to bed. You're thinking about it when you get up. You think about it when you're eating. You think about it when you're driving. Pretty soon you're thinking about it even, even when you're just Trying to relax, it starts to affect your emotions, starts to affect your will. What are you doing? You're meditating on the facts. It's negative meditation. We want to turn that around and learn how to 
fixate on truth. In Joshua 1 verse 8, God says to Joshua, it's so interesting, right before he's going to lead the Israelites into the promised land and, and, and fight battle after battle after battle, and he, what does he say to Joshua is the key to success? He says, study this book. In other words, study the truth. Study this book of instruction continually. So in other words, know the truth. But then listen to what he says. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey, obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. And the Bible simply calls this working out our salvation. So that we can experience and take hold of in this life all that Jesus has achieved for us and made possible through His death and resurrection. And Hebrews 2 verse 3 says, So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus Himself and then delivered to us by those who heard Him speak? So really quickly in closing, there's many different ways that you can do this. It just depends basically on how God has wired you. What I like to do is I, I will read God's Word and those parts of it that really seem to just be significant for me on that day. I will, because I don't have a good Bible app, I'll actually take a picture of it with my phone and I will take it with me. I can't, I can't pray and ponder and contemplate unless I'm walking. And I will go for a walk. I'll walk for two hours and I will contemplate and meditate on and pray through this Scripture. And I will just absorb it and absorb it and absorb it. You might do it through music. You might do it through journaling and writing things down. There has to be a way for you to absorb this into your very being so it can transform your inner life. And let me tell you what will happen to you, and I've experienced this virtually every day this week. And as you begin to do this, absorb the truth into your heart and into your mind, what you will encounter and who you will encounter is the truth. And Psalm 43 verse 3 says that the truth will lead you to the place where God lives. Psalm 145.18 says that the Lord is close to all who call on Him. Yes, to all who call on Him in truth. And you will begin to experience Him. And He will start to meet with you. And He will start to love you through His Word. And I had many, many significant times with God in these last two weeks. And it starts simply by absorbing within my soul the truth and as I absorb that into my soul, I inevitably start to praise God. And as I begin to praise God, I start to experience Him. And He starts to meet with me. And He starts to love me. And He starts to encourage me. And as I put my hope in the Lord, Isaiah 40 verse 3 says that He renews my strength. Like, and I begin to soar on wings like eagles. Or I walk, or I run and not faint and walk and not, walk and not grow weary. And He strengthens me.
And you begin, can begin to develop a life where rather than it being characterized by anxiety or worry and stress, you can have it characterized by, by peace. So I want to encourage you. The time to moor and anchor your boat is before the storm comes. This needs to be a daily living by faith, believing that through the Word of God, you can experience the God of His Word. And you can walk with Him, and you can talk with Him, and He can begin to transform your life. And you begin to experience your salvation, not merely as a means to heaven, but as a way of life, a whole new way of living as truly life.